Hello, everybody, and welcome. Today, we have a returning visitor, my brother, Avram, who is here to um, share more of his wisdom and experience with us. Go back and watch the other two episodes I have with him because um, he's just an incredible person and has so much wisdom to share. So today, I wanted to um, pick your brain a little bit, Avram, about kind of like how you got to where you are in terms of your um, theories and ideas and how to connect and coach and empower people. Because I know that you're working with couples, singles, um, addiction, and you're really making change for people and you're really making a difference. Um, so I would love to hear from you, what is it that makes you so unique? Thank you. Thanks for having me here again. It's always nice to be here. And uh, as you're asking that question, I'm thinking about something that we share in common, which is a, a love for the Nurtured Heart Approach. And I'm thinking about what the founder of the Nurtured Heart Approach talks about in how he did what he did and then later on tried to figure out what it was that he was doing. Right? And like, what's the approach? He didn't start off with an approach. He started off with what was working and then later on looking back. And I had a similar experience with that where there were things going on. And then later on, I'm still thinking back to like, what was that? And why did that work? And what was that all about? So I've always been someone who's uh, very sensitive and picking up on other people, maybe a little too much. And uh, maybe part of that has to do with being the oldest of 13 a uh, big family, taking care of everybody, always wanting to take care of everybody, always wanting everybody to be happy. Um, but also picking up on, you know, other people's emotions or at least wanting to be there for others, not necessarily knowing how. Um, I think I'm going to go back just not too far back, but uh, when I started working in, in the yeshiva here, in the school here, where I had many students, and it wasn't my official position to counsel them in any way. I was just teaching them, helping them with their studies. But looking back, I don't know where or why or how it started, but people would come to sit and talk to me and they weren't necessarily talking to others. And I've asked myself many times, what was that? What was it? Why were they drawn to me? I mean, you know, others questioned that. Others would say, you know, why, why are they talking to you? They're just trying to, you know, they're, they're just trying to waste time or whatever it is. They should be busy with other things. But little did they know that uh, what was being shared with me was uh, incredible, difficult challenges that these young men were talking about, whether it was previous experiences at home or current experiences socially, uh, to the point where at the beginning, when you know, these, these guys were, these students were opening up to me, I remember asking our father, who has been a coach for many, many years, I remember asking him, how do you go to sleep at night when you hear, you know, these experiences, difficult experiences people are going through? And he said to me, the only way you can be there for them is if you don't let it, you know, get to you in that way. But looking back, I was trying to think about what was it that made them feel comfortable to trust me and open up to me? It wasn't something I was doing intentionally, but I think the core of it was, Somehow, I just had this in me 
that when someone sits down in front of me, I'm curious. I'm wondering, what's going on? I didn't know the right things to say. I had no training. I didn't know what questions to ask. I didn't know how to give advice. But somehow a person sitting in front of me felt like I wasn't going to judge them. Meaning this space that we're sitting across from each other is not a space where you have to think first and make sure that you say the right words or make sure that uh, whatever you're going to be talking about is going to be approved by the preconceived kind of box or framework uh, that, you know, if you say this and this, then I'll approve and nod my head. But if you say something else, I'll frown and say, why would you do that? Or how could you think that? I was just like curious. So that definitely opened the door for people to open up to me. Uh, but I remember, first of all, wondering what was going on. And second of all, questioning myself and saying, is that the right approach? Because the story I'm telling myself is, by just being non-judgmental, I'm enabling the stuff to continue. Because let's say the student is telling me about misbehaving. Let's say the student is telling me about not showing up on time. Let's say the student is talking about activities that are um, not allowed. <laughs> and I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm saying, how can I be here for you? How can I support you with that? Instead of saying, hey, listen, you know, especially since you know, I'm supposed to be your teacher over here. That's really not okay. I wasn't necessarily saying that. I somehow intuitively was saying, what do you think? And having them say, well, I'm not happy that I'm doing that. And then asking questions like, what are we going to do about that? Uh, so the very fact that I didn't right away say, uh, -uh that's not okay. I'm saying to myself, I, something seems right about it, but something seems really wrong because maybe this is just people pleasing it's nice that people want to talk to me, but that's not mentorship. A mentor, a leader is supposed to, you know, make sure that there's no confusion and there's no enabling of, of bad behavior. So I always wondered about that, but I went with my gut anyway on that. And as years went on and I started to see something interesting, I started to see that this approach actually led to change. And... It was more like the fear-based approach of that's not okay um, seemed to lead to the opposite. It seemed to shut people down. And the approach of, hey, I see you. I'm curious. No matter what you say, it's not going to scare me or phase me. I'm not going to react differently to you. I'm still here for you. Now together, let's team up to look at that behavior. That actually led to people letting go of behaviors that were very damaging to them and to others. And so I was curious about that. Like, what is this? So I began to study. I read a lot about it. I researched a lot about it. And sure enough, this is information that's out there. And there's a lot of research and also a lot of statistics that kind of backed up what I was experiencing. And the statistics showed, the studies that I read showed that the, 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 the common thinking was actually made sense, but was wrong. Meaning the common thinking was that validation, acceptance, saying, I love you anyway, you know, unconditionally, is going to enable really bad behavior. Um, however, making sure that we don't smile until the behavior is the way we want it to be, that's going to make sure, it's going to teach them a lesson, right? So that the way, the way I was being told by others were saying, or the theories flying around, we're basically saying 
that the fear-based approach is going to be more effective and is going to lead to better results. And the validation-based approach is going to just lead to, you know, people running amok, doing all kinds of, of terrible things. And my experience wasn't showing that. And then I started to see that indeed the research was also backing up what I had, what I had seen. And we want to look at that. We want to look at statistics and numbers, not just what people say. So for example, um, when I started reading about attachment theory, right, that was something that really um, impacted me a lot. Um, I read about, you know, back in the uh, in early, early 1900s, mid 1900s, when at that time it was believed that attachment to a child, for example, when kids would be in the hospital, um, parents were not allowed to be there to hold the child's hand or to be there with the child because that was considered damaging to a child. Any kind of, of, of connection and closeness and attachment to a child was considered you're going to create a weak a child and you got to, if you love a child, you want them to be strong and you want them to be independent. And so it, it, it you know, at the time, I think his name was John Bowlby, if I'm not mistaken, uh, was working on uh, a different approach and got a lot of pushback and actually people, it was very, very controversial, but he felt that it was really the other way around. You know, he felt that actually kids will thrive and grow if they have that secure attachment. And one of the things that I started to, to, to realize about that as I was reading about it was if you think about it, it makes sense, especially from the perspective of the nurture heart approach, because when there is attachment, what does that allow the child to think about themselves? That secure attachment means I'm okay. Right. And um, one, of the, one of the courses that I took actually looked at the neuroscience without getting into all the details, but the different parts of the brain. And they studied that the development and the growth, maturity, the ability to regulate emotions, the ability to, to develop and mature was dependent directly on the message that caregivers gave, which said, I'm glad you're here. It's nice to be with you. Welcome. The smile, right? Again, directly the opposite of the other messaging, which says, don't smile yet. You have to make sure that they're behaving well, because if you're happy to see them, that means you're basically teaching them that their mistakes are okay, right? But the research showed the opposite. The research showed that kids who were getting that message or humans, even as adults, are getting that message over and over again of, I'm happy you're here. I don't like what you're doing, maybe, but that has nothing to do with the fact that, you know, thank you for being here. And they even looked at the, 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 uh, the, the, the eyesight, you know, basically has to do with the left eye or the right eye, the way that a parent, let's say, would look at a child, or the way two humans would look at each other with a smile, and that itself was very, very powerful. They, they translated this into the world of therapy and they showed, they proved that when a client walks into the room and the therapist smiles and says, I'm so glad you're here, the impact that that would have on the client actually changing their behavior was massive compared to the, the therapist who was, I don't know, we'll see, <laughs> we'll see, you know. So that warmth, that that I'm happy you're be here. Has, I'm happy you're here has a lot to do with that secure attachment. And then I was reading about Sue Johnson, you know, an EFT, and she talks about how attachment theory is not just great for kids, 
but it's also great for relationships. And she discovered how many of the the difficulties or the challenges between a husband and wife, let's say, in a relationship who were fighting all the time was really two people who were just craving secure attachment. We're basically saying, we can argue, we can disagree. And you know, you have people like John Gottman who discovered that the happiest couples can argue all the time, but they're secure attachment. What that means is, I'm glad you're here. I'm not, there's no contempt. And, and basically the arguments and the fighting that is happening is happening about, let's say if you have a house, right? So you can have questions about where should we put the bathroom? Where should we, you know, what kind of linen should we have? What kind of furniture should we have? And we could maybe argue about that, but we're never arguing about the foundation. It's not like every time we have a disagreement, I don't know if I want to be married to you anymore. So when that secure attachment is there, when that unconditional acceptance and commitment is there, then what could happen in that space? And so it was very validating to read all of that and to see all that research and to see all the studies and the statistics because that was kind of validating what I was experiencing, that unlike what what, what was being claimed, the more unconditional acceptance and secure attachment there was, the more motivation there was to actually change. And, you know, William Miller, who did a lot of research on this, he calls, you know, he came up with something called motivational interviewing. And he talked a lot about how when therapists would challenge a, a patient and kind of tell them what to do or show them what, the, what they were doing was wrong, you know, it, it didn't work. It doesn't work. And when you, when you set down the line, when you say, listen, you know, as your therapist, it's my responsibility to set you straight. You know, if I'm going to sit here and say, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. You know, I'm going to enable bad behavior, but it's a great theory, but it didn't work. But motivational interviewing, which basically says, let's team up together. Let me ask you questions. Let me be curious about you. And it's also based on that concept of, I'm, I'm happy if I understood it correctly. Uh, I'm happy to see you. I'm glad you're here. Uh, we're safe with each other. And what that led to or leads to is motivation and excitement on the part of the client to say, well, um, first of all, I want to hear your advice. Or second of all, you know, it, this creates a space for me to, to, to be able to look at myself and look at my behaviors and see, am I happy with what's going on? Or am I not happy with what's going on? So that was great to see. And um, I, I felt that one of the things that one of the core ideas here is that somebody who's with me needs to feel believed. And that was the message of, you know, I see you, I hear you, and I believe you. Um, and I think going back to the beginning, that's what was going on. Because a lot of times the, the setting I myself experienced trying to talk to someone else was, I'm not sure if they really believe me. I'm not sure if my experience makes sense to them. Even if it doesn't make sense to them, I'm not sure if they even trust that I'm even telling the truth about my experience because they have some kind of judgment around it and, you know, whatever. So the deeper sense of no matter what you're going to say, I don't necessarily agree with you. I'm not, I'm not saying that everything you think is a healthy thought, but that's not my place right now. My place right now is as a fellow human to simply listen to you and say, I believe you. So if you say the sky is purple, I believe you that that's your experience. I believe you that that's what you're seeing, or at least I believe, right? That's, that's what you're telling me for some reason. 
And what that does is it's, it's not a trick. It wasn't, it's not a manipulation tactic, right? It's, it's a way of creating safety and secure attachment with someone else. And if I believe you, and if I see you, and if I hear you, then, then you trust me and we trust each other. And then we can talk about whatever it is we want to talk about. And I realized that when I was coaching, um, let's say couples, you know, husbands and wives, and a lot of times, whoever it is that I was talking about would talk about their spouse behaving in certain ways that are not okay. And again, this went against the grain when I would say, what if your spouse does make sense? I'm not saying all behaviors are good. I'm not saying our be all behaviors are functional. But what if behind behavior is a person who actually makes sense and you could understand where they're coming from? So again, the same fear came in. Well, if, if I don't put my foot down, if I don't say stop, if I don't say that's not okay, I'm allowing myself to be trampled on. I'm enabling bad behavior. I'm being codependent. But my heart and gut told me that was not the case. And again, the research backed that up, that when it's coming from a place of secure attachment, I'm not talking about false um, um, pleasing others. I'm talking about a true, genuine commitment to say, if your behavior makes no sense to me, that means I'm missing something. That means I'm not understanding. You know, and, um, I, you know, I just kept seeing this in, in so many, so many different areas and seeing how it shows up. So that's kind of the, I guess, a, a sort of an answer to your question that there was this kind of intuitive sense of knowing that that despite what some people say, if if a person can feel seen, fully seen, understood, validated, which means in some way you make sense, your experience makes sense. I see you, I believe you, and I understand you even. I can't understand everything, but I try to. Um, and it's genuine. And it's genuine. I know, I know the difference between genuine and not genuine. You're not, not genuine as I'm trying to please you. So yeah, I see you, I hear you, I get you. Right? But when it's genuine is when I'm really trying to be there with that person and create that space. That always leads to more growth. That always leads to, you know, to, to more change. And just one other point is there's also a certain humility and openness around what does growth look like? You know, for some people, growth looks like I want to be more productive in my life. And for some people, growth looks like I want to be more okay with being less productive in my life. And someone challenged me and say, when we were talking about, as their coach, I was saying, let's, let's figure out what your goals are. And he says, I can't do that. Because for me, setting goals creates a tremendous amount of anxiety. And so my response to that was, okay, sounds like your first goal is, your main goal right now is to learn how to be in a space of serenity without pressure, right? So a goal, a, a real goal is, what do I want right now? What do I need? What's important? What am I looking for? It could be, I'm looking for more productivity. It could be, I'm looking for more serenity. And whatever it is, when we lean into that, and we create space for that and their safety and their safety and there's trust then we also don't have to walk on eggshells anymore around each other right so for example 
if I'm in a relationship with someone as a friend or even as a client or whatever it is, and I really don't appreciate something that that person is saying, if that person knows from experience without a shadow of a doubt that I believe them, that I see them, that I hear them, I have no judgment ever, no matter what they do. And they'll even, even more so, I mean, that's how it works with me. When, when I trust someone really, then I appreciate when they call me out. I appreciate at least when they share what they're uncomfortable with and they say it straight out. Like, thank you for trusting me enough to not have to beat around the bush. You know, I recalled one time with a student sitting across from me who's clearly so uncomfortable and fidgeting and moving around. And I didn't want to say anything. So it's like the elephant in the room where we both know that he's uncomfortable and both of us are not saying it. And this was way before I had any training or any experience, but I just looked at him in the eyes and said, you okay? You seem really uncomfortable. And he immediately calmed down and became comfortable. Um, that wouldn't necessarily work, you know, if, if there wasn't a certain amount of trust, if there wasn't a certain sense of, I don't judge you. I'm not trying to change you. I'm with you. We're on the same team. And that's the core of attachment theory, as far as I understand it. Wow. Well, thank you for taking us along that journey. Oh, my goodness. There are so many pieces I could <laughs> Yeah. So one thing that really struck me right in the beginning when you started talking about the attachment theory is I don't remember exactly the words you said, but about how the the messaging that a child with a secure attachment gets about themselves, that if I'm being seen and heard and believed, which was what you said later, but basically the idea of attachment, if I'm getting the secure attachment, if I'm being held and, and, and loved and, um, I matter so much to this other person, this adult, right? Then I must be lovable. Then I must be worthy of being cared about. If I matter to them, then I must, I must matter. Like, otherwise, why would they take notice of me? So obviously if they're looking out for me and here all the time, there's something worthy about me. And so that very real messaging and belief that's so core because it's not based on a behavior. And it's not based on uh, achievement, not an academic achievement, not a sports achievement, not a social achievement. It's it's mm. just the reality of living a life where I matter. It's so real. It's such a really lived experience. It's it's deeper than any other experience I'll ever have. It's just I know that I matter. I I felt that from my people. It's so big. And then when you started taking that on to other relationships to whether it's a coaching relationship or a marriage relationship, it, it just snowballs, I guess, into more and more like power that we have that if I know that I matter to you more than anything, if I know that you're absolutely committed to me, if I know that you would never, ever have anything but our best interest as a unit in mind, then if I'm feeling hurt, I must be misunderstanding because I know that bottom line, you want us. So you would never try to hurt me or send me out or cut me off, you know, which is the fear that would make me hurt in the first place. Why are they saying that they don't love me anymore or they hate me or um, and I remember hearing that, I, I don't remember where I heard this, but I remember hearing that it's very powerful for a couple to just say the words to each other, like, 
I love you forever. I want to be married to you forever. Like it's forever. And I remember hearing that in, in the context of a struggling couple and a struggling marriage where there's this, maybe this fear of like one day, maybe not, maybe it won't be the right thing. But if today it's the right thing, if today you're choosing to stay married, then lean into the marriage fully, give it your full, give it your full self because exactly. that commitment of I'm here forever. I, I, I want to be here forever. I want to be commit. I'm committed to you is a foundation that then can create a, a future that can last, which is what I'm hearing you saying, which is so powerful. And it just, and that idea that if I feel that you are committed to me forever, then I don't need to prove anything. I don't need to convince you that I'm lovable. I don't need to convince myself that you love me. I don't need to mm. run after you or chase after you or run away because you don't love me enough or I'm scared you're going to abandon me. There's so much that is freed up when I trust that you're really committed to me and that I really matter to you that can then be put into all that freed up energy, all that freed up focus can be put into actually just figuring each other out, getting to know each other better, loving each other, learning how to love each other, learning how to like each other, mm -hmm. learning how to get along because that's getting along has nothing to do with like the foundation of I'm committed to you forever. And when I'm committed to you forever, I have a much better chance because actually learning to get along means getting to know you and that safety you're talking about of like me coming and saying, actually, I'm a, you know, words of affirmation person. I'm not an acts of service person. And I, it really means so much to me when you appreciate what I do. I don't even care if you ever do it back. I just want to know that you appreciate it. Being uncomfortable enough to, to say those things and, and take up space comes is easy with trust. You know, it's easy when I know you want to know because I know you want to love me and I know you do love me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, so I just love everything you said. Um, and I would love, can we reach you and what can we expect? At this point in time, uh, best way is a phone number. So that's, uh, put it out here, 201-870-1770. That's 201-870-1770. Text WhatsApp. Um, that's usually the best way. And I love meeting people. So it starts with reaching out, having a conversation. Um, there's no fees or anything for that because why would I take money from someone if I don't even know you or even know what we're going to be doing? I just like to have a conversation and to see, um, what you're all about. And it would, if there's any way that I could be a support or, a co-creator of, of something or anything, especially, especially when we are living in a zone where there's certain ways that we want to be or certain visions that we have, and we keep feeling like we're stuck and we're not living those visions. So how do we dissolve that stuckness and live the life that we want? Um, that's kind of what my passion is all about through, through this approach, uh, through self-acceptance and, and acceptance of others and acceptance of reality. So, yeah, we can, anyone is free to reach out and uh, would love to to get to know you and spend some time together and see what we can create. Yay. And I'll put um, his number in the show notes as well. I know that you have done extensive training and you are certified to so tell us about that. Yeah. So at this point, I am the official labels are certified professional life coach and recovery coach uh, with a specialty also what's called an app set trainee, which means a specific training around um, 
dealing with marriages where there's been a betrayal and betrayal trauma. Um, certified nurtured heart approach uh, trainer. And I am, I guess you could say a certified person who cares. Yes, I can, I can attest to that. I can give you that certification, <laughs> even though it sounds like you don't need me to, because you've given it to yourself. And I love that. All right. So till next time, everybody. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you.